Welcome back to A Thousand Names for God. My name is Rick Alexander. I'm the host of this podcast. As always, the show notes have all of the sources mentioned, as well as all of the ways that you can connect and work with me. Without further ado, on to the show. So for today's teaching, today's contemplation, and I've talked a lot about contemplation being this idea that you listen, but you don't judge. You pay attention to what happens within you when you listen and you get curious about that thing. That That's your way into the teaching, so to speak. And get curious about where you disagree or where you agree or whatever it is. And it's kind of funny to say that now because today's, the poem that I'm going to read is the the teaching that we're going to work with today is about that in, in some sense. It's it's about finding the great way, and it's written by the third patriarch of Zen. And in Zen, they often talk about the, the way, the path as the way or the great way. The great way knows no impediments. It does not pick and choose. When you abandon attachment and aversion, you see it plainly. But make a thousandth of an inch distinction, heaven and earth spring apart. If you want it to appear before your eyes, cherish neither for nor against. To compare what you like with what you dislike, that is the disease of the mind. Then you pass over the hidden meanings, and peace of mind is needlessly troubled. So you've probably noticed in a lot of my recent work, the idea of letting go keeps coming up. Well, you know, what I'm talking about letting go of, if you're new to the show, is letting go of your need to be right, your need to have your preference met, your need to manipulate reality so that it does meet your preference. Now, we don't always phrase that in, in negative terms, right? When you think about manipulate, you tend to think negative. But oftentimes, I mean, that is what we're doing. We're trying to manipulate the variables of reality. And when it works out, it's a little bit of a of an illusion because it doesn't work out so often. And like I said, often, you know, reality doesn't agree to our terms. And so when it inevitably doesn't work out, when we can't manipulate the person we love to love us back, or we can't manipulate the culture, our culture to see what we see, when we can't do that, then we're challenged to do something else, which is accept. Now, you can hang on to that need to manipulate for a really long time, and to the degree that your desires for reality are different from reality, you're going to suffer a bit. But the idea with letting go is simultaneously what you're actually doing is accepting. But I also want to be clear that in my experience anyway, you know, studying this work, acceptance, like the radical kind of acceptance that I'm talking about, where things are, and that's okay, where things are allowed to be the way that they are, without you suffering over the way that they are, that takes work, you know, because what happens is like, you could just spend, let's say there's a, there's a kind of meditation, heart-centering prayer is one way of thinking about it. It's, it's similar to this idea of like, you're not following the breath, you're not doing anything, but you're, you just are, and whatever comes into your mind, you let it go. You know, you don't cling to it. You don't react to it. You don't hold on to it. And it's actually a pretty difficult but 
but also I would say comforting meditation. Comforting in that one of the things that happens is that as you let go and as you really reach that state of equanimity where you kind of acquiesce in the in the void, so to speak, this interesting joy kind of bubbles up from the inside out and you start to see things a little differently. And of course, the moment you do it, then you think like, oh, am I getting enlightened? And then as soon as you have a thought, you grab onto it and then it all goes away. It's a pretty difficult thing. But one of the things that you'll also notice too is in this work, and this can be difficult in any kind of like work on yourself, inner work, is that you have what in like Hindu or Buddhist thought would be called samskaras. And what samskaras are like old thought impressions, you know, they're, they're, they're formed from old ways of being, old ways of thinking, and, and they're old karmic in, impressions that are still there, maybe from past lives if you, if you buy that, but also just maybe from this life, maybe from living in certain ways, inheriting certain stories from your family, from your culture, from your religious or belief system, from your school, you know, they're always influencing our consciousness. And honestly, I think one thing that's interesting is we, we don't really pay attention to what influences our consciousness. You know, like if you just listen to commercials, there's a sort of lack in them. Like they're, they're praying to lack, right? Obviously, they're trying to make you buy something. And it's easy to kind of brush that away and ignore it. Like, I don't want that. I don't care. But, you know, we know that sound radically transforms transforms consciousness like it can have a transformative effect on consciousness right because that's why they have sound baths and things along those lines that's why you can go look at different chakra meditations and you can align yourself to those frequencies because it does sort of change your conscious experience and you know so you so we're always taking things in through sound even if we're not exactly aware of it and these things are creating thought impressions they're called samskaras again and What's interesting is when you start to get into this kind of work and you do start to accept and start to let go and open, right? These are all the same thing. Acceptance, letting go, opening. I'm saying the same thing in three different ways. And what happens though is that there starts to be a a sort of competing feeling. And that competing feeling is actually good, right? There's the desire to get closer to the ideal that you're shooting for, the spiritual ideal or whatever it is, to know God, to know reality, to know... Uh, cosmic consciousness, whatever words you like. And then at the same time, these old samskaras are popping up. And if you cling to them when they come through, if you think they say something about you, so to speak, then you're back in the game. You're back in the old game, right? And one of the things that makes the path so difficult is that these old samskaras come up and then you cling to them again. And it happens unconsciously, right? They kind of grab you from behind and you don't know that it's happening until all of a sudden you're in it, you know? Tara Brock is a Buddhist psychologist and she talks about this idea of a trance, you know? It's like you just, you get in a trance from old samskaras, like a trance of needing your way, needing needing things to go exactly how you want them, or a trance of believing they're not going to, or thinking, you know, a trance of living from lack, thinking you need something out, outside of yourself and that that's going to solve your problems. And we, we get in these trances and we don't realize it. But the thing that I really love about this Buddhist thought, right, this idea that the great way knows no impediments. And there's a, there's a proverb uh, that comes out of the tantric philosophy that says something along the lines of the ground that trips you up is also the ground that supports you and holds you up. It's the same thing. And so what these philosophies are saying is that it's right here, right now. 
You know, these teachings meet us where we're at. And if they don't, if it's some other future destination or future thing, then it, it's just another line of things that we're telling ourselves that are different from our reality right now. You know, it can't save us in the future. It's got to save us now. It's got to be something that, that meets us where we're, we are. And so, you know, sometimes we read these teachings and we think like, well, I'm not there. I, I don't know how to let go. And it's like, well, maybe accept that. Maybe you start by accepting the fact that you can't accept it, you know, because this game of division isn't working. So maybe we just try a different way. We have to have these teachings. We bring them to us or the worthiness games that we play. You know, a lot of us were raised on performance models of worth. And what a performance model of worth says is that in order for you to be of worth, you have to perform, you have to achieve, you have to be doing something. But all of these traditions posit a different idea. They posit the fact that you made it here to be enough. But what happens is we fall back into these performance models of worth. You know, a lot of people use things like shame and fear and threat, and they dress it up in words like love. And so we're pretty confused on what it really means to be accepted or to be loved without conditions. But without conditions infers this idea that I don't need anything from you. I don't need you to change. I, you can be right where you are. And so because we haven't experienced this unconditional love before from people, we haven't had it modeled for us, it's really hard for us to believe that that could be coming from some kind of universal principle. You know, we, we repeat these stories in our head about performance models of worth, and then we start to read some sort of teaching or some sort of uh, something clues in our heart to the idea that there's something more expansive or bigger available to us. But then we think, but I'm not worthy of that today. I'm not worthy of that now. I have to purify myself or I have to um, kick this habit. I have to kick this thing that I'm doing. But a, a non-dualistic perspective, which is, I would argue, is what this poem was written from, says, no, it's all God. If omnipresence means omnipresence, then there isn't a thing that's not God. And we could go into philosophies that talk about the way that consciousness manifests as material reality or the way that, that the creator works, so to speak, whatever language you want to use. But again, it has to meet us today. And so this idea of like, well, I'll do it when I'm worthy, that, that's, that's not acceptance, right? That That's something else that's playing a different game, maybe the game you were born with, or the game you were raised with, or the game that you've seen other people play, or the game that you've convinced yourself, right? That you have to play because we create these models of reality for ourselves. And all of those models keep us from the actual reality. And that is such a difficult sort of hurdle in our process. But it does start with acceptance. Because as I said, what happens as you do start to let go is that joy that starts to float in. Those can become a kind of north arrow for your work. Like, you know that, that there's a state that exists. And, you know, it's interesting because if you read these philosophies, there's, there's many states that exist that are much higher than the, the current state that you're in or that you've even experienced, right? And that's true even if you've experienced these sort of moments of samadhi or moments of immersion, mo moments of cosmic consciousness, you know, those, they work in two different ways, for and against, just like everything in, in these teachings. They work for because they tell you what's possible. You know, they give you something that even when you're drowning in old thought patterns and getting caught by trances and getting caught by old samskaras, they, they remind you, but like, don't forget that that reality does exist. You know, moments of acceptance, moments of 
cosmic love or archetypal love where you've been fully accepted, where you've seen something true about the nature of reality and, and the unity that lies beyond all of the division that we see every day, right? All of these moments, and, you know, the, the tantric texts actually say that we, we experience these moments many times throughout the day, but we don't exactly notice it or pick up on it. But when you do and you become aware of it, those, can, again, can be motivating for the days that it's really hard to accept who you are today, you know. But thinking back on those other times can be good. Now, where they can hurt is when you start to expect them. Stephen Batchelor wrote a book called Buddhism Beyond Beliefs, and I'll share some of the lessons from that uh, book because I think it's just a, a really practical guide to some of the Buddhist thought that can be really beneficial psychologically, I think, for modern people. But he talks about this idea that in spirituality, we have a spiritual path, we embark on a spiritual path to connect with the unknown, not to reinforce what we already think. And so one of the ways that these previous immersion or samadhi experiences can hold us back, this is definitely true for me, you know, the first time I took psilocybin, I had like a complete ego death, went straight to heaven, had a conversation with cosmic consciousness at a, a level that I did not know existed. I experienced a state of love that I didn't know existed. And at the same time, I kind of wanted to go back there, right? Like I, it started to become a thing where I was like, now my experiences are a letdown if I don't get back there. And now you can see how quickly I've started playing the wrong game because now I'm no longer accepting what is. And so I think another one of the great things about the spiritual path is that it's an acceptance of what is. And I like that he says, you know, you see it plainly when you abandon attachment and aversion. But if you make a thousandth of an inch distinction, heaven and earth spring apart. So it's talking about these meditations where you just clear everything and if, and, or accept everything. It's another way in, so to speak. Like every thought that comes up, accept it. Every thought that comes up, accept it. Every feeling that arises in the body, accept that too. Accept it consciously. And you might find that if you can do that, 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 uh, that feeling of joy, of bliss kind of bubbles up from within you. And, you know, like uh, uh, the Hindus would say that, well, the Hindus and the Buddhists would say that that's actually our natural state. I think it's called Ananda in Sanskrit. It's like our natural state when you're not clinging to everything that you think you are is actually that bliss. But then what happens when that joy comes up, you say, oh, I'm experiencing it. I'm feeling it. And then it shuts all back down because you cling to a thought. And then as soon as you cling to something, the whole sort of framework of beliefs comes rushing back in and, and kind of knocks you off of center. And so it's the work. It's accepting wherever you are is where it is. And noting those moments where heaven and earth come together, where they're all one thing and you know it in your heart, in your being, in your body. He says, to compare what you like with what you dislike, that is the disease of the mind. I mean, that's, that's downright heretical in our culture. You have to have preferences. You must have preferences. You must have things that are unacceptable to you. And you must unfollow people that say unacceptable things. And you must cancel, right? Like there's something about our culture that's rather than trying to question myself and my own distinction between right and wrong, thinking that maybe what's wrong actually has something to teach me, which I think that it does. There's a movement in our culture to vanquish that other. And I think, you know, we want to vanquish the other in the world because we're convinced that if we can, it'll somehow vanquish the other in ourselves. 
But what I found, and I can only speak from my experience, is that no matter how far you go, there you are. And so no matter what you accomplish, achieve, vanquish out in the world, in the horizon, there are still parts of yourself that have to be accepted, parts of your nature where maybe you were raised or, or you were born into a system of thought or a belief system that viewed your nature as something to get rid of, something to suppress, something to be ashamed of, something to push down, something not to talk about. And that's really difficult because what you are is an animal. So you are nature. That doesn't mean you're not sophisticated. You've got, you know, you've got the prefrontal cortex, you've got cognition, you've got the ability to make choice sometimes, right? But that doesn't mean that what you choose is in accordance with reality, you see? You have a nature and you can choose not to express it. You can choose to repress it, to suppress it. But that doesn't make that not reality. It just means that you've chosen not to track what's happening with you, right? Because, and I think this is one of the, one of the absolute best things that, well, Carl Jung, but also Freud. And I know that they, he, you know, Freud didn't discover the unconscious. He was building on previous thinkers. But this idea that what you repress goes underground and gets expressed through your personality in ways you're not in control of, I think is one of the most important ideas that we can try to contemplate in ourselves. Because if you can find those places, that's your work. That's what you need to accept about yourself, you know? And that is how you bring heaven and earth back down together. And that's because you're, you're here fundamentally to express your nature, to express what's incredible about you. And there's an internal peace that being in accordance with who you really are brings into your life. Now, there's an Indian scholar named Eknath Iswaran. He actually translated my favorite translation of the Bhagavad Gita. And he also translated the Dhammapada, which is like the Buddhist scripture, as well as the Upanishads. I'll link his work up. But anyway, he has a commentary on this poem. And one of the things that he says is that the hidden meaning of things as they really are lies beyond dualistic experience, waiting to be discovered by those who can travel upstream against conditioning. Because when he says beyond dualistic experience, he's saying beyond the categories the category of right and wrong, like as soon as you can realize that those are arbitrary. And now I'm not saying there's not a transcendent good. What I'm saying is your category of good isn't transcendent. It's within the confines of good and bad. And that's problematic because we don't know, and I've made a case for this many times, what what anything really means, you know, what what anything right now in this moment means. Things that we, I've done things that I thought were so good that turned out to be so bad in the long run and vice versa. You know, I've gone through breakups that turned out to be so good in the long run. You know, so like these ideas, we just don't know. We have our moment to moment experience and our work is to accept it and to see what it turns into, to see what it will be, to open, to fundamentally open. But when we don't accept, when we choose our preference, when we choose dualism or categories, there's a closing that happens. That's why I say acceptance, letting go, opening. Those are actually all the same thing. To navigate your world in an open way means that you have accepted because it's the only way you'll actually open because we close in order to protect ourselves, in order to reject. And oftentimes when we're in a trance, as Tara Brock would say, we close. And the moment we do, we shut ourselves off from the all. 
right? We shut ourselves off from capital R reality or the absolute with a capital A, whatever, again, whatever words you want to use. That's why this is a thousand names for God. But the moment we close, we know ourselves as separate then. So you see, we're creating the distinction that keeps us separate in those moments of you know, mysticism, moments of mystical consciousness, moments of joy, those happen because you merge with. That's why samadhi means to merge, because you merge with the absolute. You're so open, in fact, that you expand and take on a higher perspective or a more all-encompassing, more whole perspective. But the moment you reject or you choose preference or you close, there's a, there's a knowing yourself as separate then and choosing to be separate then. And if you keep separating yourself over and over and over, well, that becomes hell, becomes lonely. We have a loneliness epidemic in our world right now, you know. People are killing themselves at really high rates. People are cut off from the whole, feeling like they have to shoulder their burdens and their doubts and their struggles by themselves because they've learned to close, they've learned to reject. And so the work, again, to bring heaven and earth together, it's opening, it's receiving, it's accepting. And that can be a really difficult thing to do. So you got to make sure that where you open to, where you accept, where you understand this work is wherever you are today, now, in this moment. All right, I love you guys. Talk to you next time. Bye. Caught up in specialness I wish you could see That we are kings of bliss in comparison looking outside of me now I see this world is unraveling I wonder who could we be oh I don't want to see us lose any more time this moment is a mountain to move to move so move it inside and wake up
Give it to me, hold it Cause I was lost in compassion 